You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. I'm so glad all of you are here today. Let's go to 1 John together. Let's go to chapter 3. If you've been at Highland for the last three weeks, you know that's where we've been. We will we'll be this morning, a couple weeks to go. 1 John chapter 3, let's begin in verse 1 in this great chapter right in the heart of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I encourage you, as I always do uh, on Sunday mornings as we go to God's Word, but to keep your Bible open the remainder of the morning, we'll continually go back to this chapter and unpack together what God has for us. 1 John chapter 3, I'll read verse 1 and verse 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Let me stop real quick and make sure we're on the same page for that word know. It means that the world does not really understand us, just like the world did not understand Jesus. Maybe in more 2020 vernacular, the world just doesn't get us. The world didn't really get Jesus. That that we would, would follow one who came from God, that we would be willing to forsake everything else to follow Jesus that we would give our time, our, our treasure, our talents to this resurrected Christ. The world does not know that. The world does not understand that. Just as the world did not know, did not understand Christ. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when Christ does appear, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. First John 3, 1 and 2 really set the stage for the rest of the third chapter of 1 John. You know, I look around the gathering this morning and um, we're, we're different people. I say this lovingly, some of you are more different than others, but we're all different, different people, right? Come from, from different backgrounds. We come from different journeys, different paths. Just, just think about this house at this time, this morning, just all the different places that we have come from, not just talking geographically this morning, but just the journeys that have brought us to this place together this morning. We have different sets of problems. We have different jobs, maybe different schools that we attend. There's 32, in fact, you see it represented the flags behind me this morning, 32 nationalities in our church membership. I mean, we're, we're a different people different families of of origin, different plans for this afternoon, much less different plans for the rest of our futures. What is it that keeps bringing us back together on Sunday mornings? I mean, we, we have different positions within the city, probably varying political positions. What, what is it that brings us together on a Sunday morning? Well, I think we see it right here in chapter three, verses one through two. What brings us together is that as the church, we're children of God. As, as the saved, the redeemed here in this room this morning, we're, we're God's daughters and God's sons. This is what ties us together. It's not our background or our, our culture or our, our skin color, what age we are, what, what stage we are in life, what, what chapter we're on, what station we're on. What, what ties us together, what pulls us together on a, on a Sunday morning really is the fact that we are sons and daughters of God. His love unites us. Maybe I can put it this way. We are people captivated by God's love. 
And because we are a people captivated by God's love, we are thus compelled to love others. Because you are captivated by the love of God, we are compelled to love others. This is really the foundation of the springboard, verse one and verse two of the, of the remainder of this chapter. We don't have time to go through all of chapter three this morning. So jump down to verse 11 with me and kind of see the heart of, of chapter three as it relates to the fact that we are people captivated by the love of God, thus compelled to go out and to love others. First John chapter three, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. We love the family. We love others. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but let us love in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. I can wrap all those verses up with this one statement. Because God loves us, we love others. Did you see how John begins this portion of our passage this morning in verse 11? He says, this is the message really you've heard from the beginning. This is something that you already know. This is what has been said since Christ came onto the scene. Remember back in the gospels when someone came out of the crowd, stepped out of the crowd and, and asked Jesus for the cliff notes? Hey, hey, Jesus, just, just give me the basics. Like what, what's the greatest commandment? You've been telling us a lot of things. I just kind of want to know the baseline. Like what is the greatest commandment? And remember what Jesus said, you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your strength, all your soul, all your mind. And the second, Jesus said, is just like it. You'll love your neighbor as you love yourself. Everything in the Old Testament, Jesus said, all the prophet, all the law, it, it profits, all the law, it hinges on, on those two commandments. I always found it fascinating that Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And it seems like he gave us two, but really they're together. That's what Jesus said in the transition. And the second is just like it. Love God with everything and love your neighbor just like you love yourself. Let me go ahead and make a really emphatic statement that might potentially offend some people, but that's the business I'm in. So let me just say this. If you do not love others, there is good reason to doubt that you are a child of God. First John is an in-your-face letter from John to the church. Over and over again, he is making sure that you know for sure that you have eternal life. And so he gives these, these pretty, really kind of brash statements. If you say you love the world, then 
really God's love can't be in you. If you say you hate your brother, then really God's love can't be in you. If you have something and you see somebody in need, you don't help them, really God's love can't be in you. Really, it's a series of tests or a series of indicators or a series of indications or even a series of red flags that over and over again, John is saying these things to us. So, so if that statement sounds a little harsh, let me make sure that you see it in scripture. So if your Bible's still open, look there in chapter three again, look at verse 14, look at verse 15 as well. We know, we, we are for sure, surely we have passed out of death into life. Verse 14, that is the statement of salvation. It's the statement of our, of our rescue, of being new in Christ, of being a Christian. We know this for sure, that we have passed out of our old life into the new life because we love the brothers, because we love others. So whoever does not love is still back in death. Whoever does not love is still in spiritual death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. These nine verses we just read, verses 11 through 19, show the biblical difference between hate and love. The origins of hate and love, the markers of hate and love, the actions of hate and love. So let's start this morning with hate. What does the Bible say to us about hate? Here's the first thing, if you're taking notes, hate originates with the devil. Chapter three, verse, verse 12, the beginning part of verse 12, we should not be like Cain. Actually, let's pick up the very end of verse 11 because that's the transition or the comparative statement. We should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Oh, we didn't read this, but it's, and it's not on the screen behind me, but it is in the Bible in front of you. Look at verse eight. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter eight? He said that Satan, the devil, the evil one, has been a murderer from the beginning. Then he went on to say that, that the devil, he is the father of, of all lies or the originator of everything that is not true or the originator of everything that's, that's not pure or the originator of everything that is not love from God. So hate originates with the devil. Here's the second thing what you see about hate. Hate selfishly seeks the harm of others. That's the action of hate. That's the evidence of hate that you're purposely, selfishly seeking the harm of others. This is what we see again in verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one um, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? Because his, his own deeds were evil, but he saw in his brother righteous deeds. And so, John, what he does here is he takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 4 and reminds us of this story of this, of this self centered man by the name of Cain. And his self-centeredness and his hatred for his brother led to the harm of his brother, actually to the killing of his brother, Abel. Really the ultimate example of hatred we see here is that desire to harm somebody else, the desire to hurt somebody else. Here it is, Cain taking the life of another. You know, a person's life is, is her most valuable possession. A person's life is his most valuable treasure, most valuable possession. So to take life from one is one of the greatest sins that we can commit. To take the life of another is one of the greatest sins that we can commit against somebody else. And I know when we, when we read this, we think probably in our context today, we, we think about murder 
think about hatred that leads to murder. We think about abortion. But God even goes much deeper than that. You can tell that John hung around with Jesus because Jesus didn't mess around a whole lot with exterior things. He went straight for the heart. And that's what John does here in, in verse 15. Everyone who just hates his brother is a murderer. I'll say there parenthetically, we always thought that the murderer was someone who killed somebody. But the Holy Spirit told John to write this down for us. Actually, if you just hate your brother, you're a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So hatred is not just some outward action like, like murder. Hatred is also an inward attitude of anger or hatred toward another person. I say this morning here at Highland, God is asking every one of us to ask this question of ourselves. Is there anything in me that is filled with hatred toward another person or a group of people? Is there any evidence in me of, of anger towards others at, at home? in the workplace, in your neighborhood, in your community, in our city, in politics, in the church. And if you consider yourself a daughter of God, a son of God, and yet you have hatred towards someone else or toward a group of someone else's, then I would say to you this morning that God beckons us, beckons you to repent. God would call us to repent of hatred that we would have toward another. Actually, the Bible requires us to repent of that. Here's a definition of hate, and it's kind of the third in this picture of hate, biblical hate. Hate is indifference that leads to inaction. It's just kind of an indifference toward others that then leads to inaction. Don't miss this practical, often overlooked effect of sin. We see it in verse 17. But if any one of you has the world's goods, you, you have some dollars, you have some things, you have some possessions, and you see your brother in need, yet you close your heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? The overlooked effect of hatred is that indifference that leads to inaction. Let me put it this way. You may not kill anybody, and you may not even have any hatred toward anybody. But if you see somebody in need and you have the measures to meet that need and yet you do nothing about it and you close your heart, here's what the Bible is saying. That's not God's love. That's hate. Hate is not just seeking another's harm, but also being content to do nothing about someone else's harm. Let me say that one more time. Hate is not just seeking to hurt somebody else. It's not just seeking harm, but also being content to do nothing about another's harm. That's hate, biblically speaking. Indifference that leads to inaction. Here's the fourth thing we see in our passage this morning. Hate is evidence of spiritual death. Hate is evidence of spiritual death. Look at verse 14 and verse 15. Let's, let's see these both. Uh, side by side, and we, we've looked at it a few times. We're going to say it again. We we know, we know that you have passed out of death. Again, this is salvation into life, 
because you love, because we love the brothers, because we love the sisters, because we love the family, because we love others. That's how we know that we've passed out of our old life into our new life because we love. And whoever does not love still abides in the old life, still abides in death. Everyone, again, who hates his brother is a murderer. And if you hate and you're called a murderer, you understand here, the Bible says that no murderer has eternal life living or abiding in him. I'm going to be just as emphatic as John is this morning. I've got a good name to do that. You cannot constantly, continually hate somebody without repentance and sorrow and turning from that hate and still call yourself a child of God and still say that heaven is yours. You cannot remain in hate and say that you're a part of the kingdom. Hate is evidence of spiritual death. Well, it feels kind of heavy in here, so let's move on to love. That's a little lighter subject to talk about. Love, love then originates with God. Love originates with God. We, we see this in verse 16. By this we know love. We understand love. Remember the word know means to, to understand. To, we, we get love. We, we comprehend love. By this we comprehend love. We know love. We understand love. Here's how we know because we see Christ laying down his life for us. That's love. And then probably in the most known passage of all of 1 John, one chapter over, if you don't mind looking at 1 John chapter 4. Again, I'll say it's not on the screen, but it is in your Bible. 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 7. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever has been born of God, this is the new life. If those who, who say that they're Christians, they're of God and know God, they're, they're going to be people of love. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. I'm not sure how much more clear John can get. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, here it is, God is love. God is the creator, the author, the originator of love, love, true love, pure love, truthful love. It emanates from God. All love that is pure comes from God. He is the genesis of love. Love, second of all, selflessly then seeks the good of others. You're gonna start seeing the mirror opposites here between the biblical definition of hate and the biblical definition of love. Love originates from God. Love then selflessly seeks the good of others. You see, instead of selfishly seeking another's harm, selfless love seeks another's good. And the key word here really is selfless. Because it's kind of easy to love people when we think we're gonna get something good back. That's how the world loves that is worldly love. I will love you. I will be good to you because I expect love back from you. I expect something good to come back from you. But what does selfless love look like? I, I think of a hero by the name of Jacob Deshazer. Jacob was um, a bombardier in World War II. In fact, he was part of the, the 80 men who were part of the, the Doolittle Raiders. Right after Pearl Harbor, um, American military sent in these 80 men on B-25 B bombers to, to bomb Japan. 
it was really kind of the spark that was igniting this into a world war in the Pacific theater now as well. And as DeShazer, DeShazer, Jacob and his, his plane went up, their B-52, they, they launched off of the USS Hornet. And because they were the 16th plane to launch off of that carrier, a lot of their fuel had been burned up already. So after they had done their bombing runs, they were running out of fuel and had to ditch the plane. And all five of the men, they parachuted out of this B-25 bomber. And almost in a bad harbinger or a haunting foreshadowing, they landed, they parachuted down into a cemetery and were quickly captured by the Japanese, taken back to a POW camp. Immediately, three of the crew of the Shazer were executed the fourth on his plane slowly died of, of starvation. And two years into his captivity, a box was accidentally sent to Jacob there in the POW camp. He opened it up and there were some, some books that had accidentally arrived to the camp and were given to him also by accident. Well, accident. He pulled a Bible out of that box, read through it and gave his life to Jesus. He would be in that POW camp for almost three more years. You can do the math and realize he was there at the beginning, very beginning of the war and actually was there even after the war was over. He came back to America after he was released, went to college, went to seminary and he and his wife Florence moved back to Japan for the next 32 years. He moved there in 1948. I mean, the war had just settled. There was still tension in our world, certainly tension between America and Japan. He and his wife Florence moved to Japan to become evangelists, to become pastors, to become missionaries. And DeShazer, he made sure that he went back to some of the men that he knew were prison guards, including one of his own torturers, and shared the gospel with them. He also got to meet and led to Jesus, Fachita. Fachita, you might recognize that name. He was the one who led the bombing at Pearl Harbor. Deshazer led Fachita to the Lord. And for the next 15 years, they traveled around Japan together as evangelists. Wouldn't you have liked to heard that sermon? of an American and a Japanese who now had found their faith in Christ and were sharing the gospel of peace around Japan. He eventually turned back, returned back to America after retirement, passed away, I think, back in 94, 95. Really, Louis Zamperini's testimony is so similar. The, the book, Unbroken, the movie Unbroken, is written about Louis Zamperini. I think about both of those men, and I think that's, now that's love. That, that is selflessly desiring to bless others, seeking the good of others. That's Christ-like love. Not really love that's given to someone that warranted the love or deserved that love. And, and highlight, maybe this is a good statement for us to all believe together. We don't ask people if they are deserving of love. We just love people. This is how Jesus loved. This is how we see men like Jacob and like Louis who paved for us a picture 
of loving others. Now, this is not exemplified in Cain. This type of love is exemplified in Christ. Uh, Verse 16, by this we know love, that Jesus, that he laid down his life for us. Here's the third biblical definition of love. It, It originates with God. It selflessly seeks the good of others. And love is compassion that leads to action. Again, the exact opposite of hate. This is how love plays out practically in our everyday lives. Instead of closing your heart to someone when you see that they have need, just the opposite, you open your heart to someone who has need and you see how you can meet that need. Look what it says here again in, in verse 18, that these are pretty, pretty bold words. Let's begin actually in verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, if you don't mind me saying here, Highland. Let us not just love and word and the talk and, and songs and our, our Christianese, but let us love in deed and let us love in truth. I mean, I could spend another hour and a half and I will not do that, so don't get anxious. I could spend another hour and a half talking about what it means to love in truth because there are some things that Christians hate, sin. And there are some things that God hates, sin. That's what it means to love in truth. But here we also see John saying that we should not love just with our words, just with our talk, but we should also love indeed. And since Christ laid his life down for us, we should be willing to lay our lives down for others. That's what it says in verse 16. There's a high probability that no one in this house will have to lay your life down for somebody else. But God might ask you to lay down some treasure or some of your time or lay down your schedule, or lay down your agenda, or lay down your busyness in order to love others, especially those in need. So I wanna be so practical this morning, so practical. What are some ways that that we can meet needs when we see the needs in, in other people? Several years ago, Highland established the African Pastors Fund that supported pastors who came from Africa to Waco to do schooling who landed here at Highland, then served here at Highland, found a way to, to use their gifts to, to bless this church family. And they, they would join here and we would be partners together. Two of the families who are recipients this past couple of years and are at present and will be until they return back to their home nations are two families you see on the screen behind me. You probably recognize their faces. These are two very beloved families here in our church. The Otto Jemfi family, Ebenezer and his wife Juta and their beautiful son, beautiful daughter. Ebenezer teach, teaches Bible here every, every Sunday, has an ABF, God's Nations, where he teaches faithfully God's word. Then you see the Swamsidi family as well. Jerry led us in, in worship this morning. Jerry and his wife Rachel and their two beautiful daughters, their handsome son, David. We support them. You support them, Highland. We support them with housing with her tuition needs, with clothing, with food, with her utilities. We desire to be a blessing to them because we understand because of government limitations, they're not able to work full hours themselves. And so as a church family, we see their needs and we open up our hearts to their needs to, to support them. Now, eventually, Ebenezer and Juta, they'll return back to Ghana where he'll be a pastor and Jerry and Rachel, sad day that'll be, they'll return back to Nigeria where He'll be a pastor and he'll be serving. 
And we will forever have that partnership with those two families as they minister around the world, minister at the continent of Africa. But today I'm asking if you'd be willing to open your heart knowing that these families will have needs coming up very soon, housing, clothing, food, utilities, tuition. And so how, how can you do that? And I'm gonna even go more practical on you now. How can you do that? Well, about four ways really you can give to the African Pastors Fund. One is, I just call it the old fashioned way, a check. And if you're under the age of 25, someone show them what a check looks like. But a check is just put on the memo line there, you know, African Pastors Fund. We wanna give to that to support these two families. We see that they're in need. We have some means. We have, have the ability to help with that. Or you can text. And if you text, just make sure you text to the Mission Fund, 254-220-4845. Or you can give to the kiosk when this, when this gathering is over out in the lobby. Just make sure you give to the Mission Fund or you can go home this afternoon uh, online, our website, and just make sure you give to the missions because everything that's given to missions today and this week, we will put into the African Pastors Fund to support these families. Because you see, love is compassion that leads to action. Here's the last definition biblically of love. Love is evidence of spiritual life. Jesus followers have compassion in their hearts. Again, when we see a need, we want to move toward that need, at least to action on behalf of the person in need. When we do that, it is, it is evidence of spiritual life in us. I know, my gosh, we've read this so many times. You should know it by memory by now. Look at verse 14. We know for sure that we have passed out of death into life. Why? How do we know that? Because we love others, because we love the brothers, we love the family. And who does not love, whoever does not love is still in the old self, is still in the old life, is still in death. Again, please notice in verse, verse 14, it does not say, this is so important for the preacher to say this today, for you to hear this today. It does not say, if you love people, you'll get eternal life. That's not what it says. It actually says, if you love people, you show that you do have eternal life. It is proof, it is evidence, a huge difference. You see, your love toward others, your sacrificial, selfless love toward others, it gives you assurance of your eternal life. It gives you assurance that there's evidence, that there's life in you. This is exactly what John is saying as I wrap up this morning in verse 18. Little children, Highland, let us not love in word or just love by talking. Let's love in deed. Let's love in truth. And by this, by loving in deed and by loving in truth, by this we shall know for sure that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Christianity is a supernatural life that comes from Christ characterized by our supernatural love for others. Your new life comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. And this life that we now live, we demonstrate love to others, even a supernatural love because it did not originate with us in view of God's great love and mercy toward you, toward me. We love and distribute mercy to others. Would you stand with me, please? And let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for being 
the example to all of us in this house today of what it truly means to love others. It's not just word, it's deed. It's not just talk, it's truth. Love originates from you, God. We see it in your son, Jesus, who in great compassion moved toward us in our great need. We see Jesus who selflessly sought the good of others, sought our good, sought our eternal good by going to a cross, being raised again to new life. So God, I pray that you would teach us how to love, teach us to love well, sacrificially. We thank you for your very strong, very clear word to us today. It chisels us. It challenges us. It corrects us. And no one really likes correction. But your word trains us to live rightly this week. To be people of love. Through Christ, love personified himself, we pray. Amen.